Well, good morning, Calvary. How are you? Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. We do have a team headed for the Dominican Republic this week. We ask that you continue to pray for them. And we just got back from a, I didn't actually go, but the youth just got back from the high school uh, um, summer retreat. It was a great experience. We had numerous people accept Christ, and, and I'm very excited about that. And if they were here, if you're here and you're one of those students that just accepted Christ, I want to invite you onto a journey, a journey that we're all on. Because you see, this is what life is about. It's about going on the journey. And we, we're calling the series, You Are Here. Because you know why? You are here. Duh, right? But if you were to pull out your phones, don't do this right now. But if you were to pull out your phones and you were to open up like a Google Maps app and it, and it would say, find your current location, it could do it. And there would be that little wonderful little thing, sign that says, you are here. And the fact is, you are where you are, Right? The question is not so much, where are you? It's, where are you going? So, I like to look at this. This is a, a Google Maps of my phone. That little dot at the end, just north of Austin, is where my mom lives. My dad lives there too. She lets him live there. But let's be honest, it's Nani's house, right? When I, we tell our kids we're going to Nani's house, granddaddy gets to live there. But that's why it's Nani's house. We're on our way to Nani's house. And, and that's the journey. It takes about 18 hours for us to get there. I can tell you where every Chick-fil-A is between here and there. I know the map well, but that's more next week's sermon. But the point of this is we're on a journey. And last week, Trevor did a great job of describing the Scripture is like Google Maps. It illuminates our path. It shows us where we are going. But here's the question I want you to ask this morning as we start this dialogue is, what does it look like to arrive? Where do we arrive? Because I think a lot of times people think that when we arrive, we are going to arrive in heaven. <laughs> True. Just like we're going to arrive when we go to Texas at Nani's house. But here's the thing. I'm not going to Nani's house to go to Nani's house. In other words, the house is not the destination. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but as we journey, as we follow Christ, and our saying around here is we're followers making followers of Jesus. In other words, we recognize that there is a life that is to come. Our journey, our point of our destination is not heaven. It's the fact that the Father is there. Can I just tell you, y'all sang wonderfully. I don't know that I've ever heard you sing louder. I was backstage, and I was like, they're really into this song today, and I love it. And let me just tell you, that's just a small snippet of what heaven is like. And I can't wait to hear the journey when we all are up there, and we recognize what God is doing and, and what we're doing. But the reality is, there is more to this life than just waiting for the next life. We're on a journey. And so we are practicing these spiritual formations. We're practicing these disciplines to help us to know how to live life on this journey. Because you see, spiritual formations are not just about adding something to our plate. It's about accomplishing the journey. So what does the journey look like? 1 John 1, 1 through 4 says this. What was from the beginning? What we have heard and what we have seen with our own eyes, that we have observed and touched with our own hands concerning the word of life. In other words, the word of life is Jesus Christ revealed through the scriptures, and they got to see it firsthand. So the word of God is God's revelation to mankind, men and women. 
And so what they saw firsthand was Jesus was alive. What we see through the scriptures is our path illuminated. We have, it has been revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you that the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us, that we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. Why? So that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This describes the journey. This describes what life should be like on the journey to the eternal life, right? The journey leads us to first a life or fellowship with God. It says it right there, verse 3. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. So they may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and is with His Son, Jesus Christ. In other words, the Father sent the Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Because somewhere along the line, we realized that we were lost in this world. That we needed a map. We needed a way to find the Father. And so the Father sent His Son, Jesus, who came and lived a perfect life. He died on the cross, and in doing so, took our pain, he took our punishment, he took our lostness upon him, and said, if you trust me, I am now the app that you have on your phone for eternal life. Okay, maybe not so much, but I am the way that illuminates your life. Trust me, follow me. And the idea of fellowship there is the idea of relationship. It's the point. It's saying that we're not just going to Nani's house, but the reason we're going to Nani's house is because Nani and Granddaddy live there, and we want to see Nani and Granddaddy, right? Otherwise, if Nani and Granddaddy moved, we just, oh, I'm still going to Nani and Granddaddy's house because that house was sweet, you know, that kind of thing. No, we go where Nani and Granddaddy are. It's the same true with heaven, that we're going to spend to have a life. The goal of this life is not to have a big, big yard where we can play football. I like football. And if you don't know, that's a reference to an 80s Christian song, okay? <laughs> Some of you laughed because you got it. And the rest of you are like, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not an endless buffet, although I like buffets. It's really about connecting with the Father where we get to claim you are worthy for the rest of our life. And along the way, the life, we're not only supposed to connect with God, fellowship with God, but we're along in this journey to connect, to have a better life with each other. That's why Jesus, when he was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? He says, all of the commandments can basically be summed up to this, love God and love people. And what you find is as you love God, you know how to love people well. And that's manifested in the third thing. It leads us ultimately, verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Have you ever noticed that trips are supposed to be filled with joy? Well, I don't know about you, but road trips are not always filled with joy in my life. Because sometimes there's objects in the road. Sometimes there's wrecks ahead. Sometimes there's kids in the back seat going, not touching, not touching, not touching. And sometime, wait for it, we run out of snacks. That's poor planning if you run out of snacks on the trip, right? But the trip itself should be part of the adventure. That's what I try to tell our boys. When we're going to see Nani's house, the moment we leave our house, we're on vacation. It's not, we're not waiting to arrive. We're on the trip. The trip itself should be filled with joy. We're going to stop at Chick-fil-A probably three times. Joy! We're going to get to spend family time. Hopefully joy for treating each other well. It doesn't always work that way, but here's what life should look like. A life chasing after the characteristics of God should lead you to a life of joy. So why don't we have joy? If the Christian life, the following of God on this journey, and we just sit there and we read our scriptures and we do what it says, why do we not always have joy? That's found in the next few verses. 1 John 1, 5 through 9. 
It says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. In other words, what? He illuminates our path, right? And there's absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him, relationship with him, community with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. In other words, if we go off the path that's not illuminated, if we go off into the dark path that says, you know, turn right here, and we go, nope, I'm going left, then it's saying that we don't understand what it means to follow God's will. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. But if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So God wants you to have joy on this journey. What makes you to not have joy on the journey? Well, it's this little world called sin. Do you know what sin is? Do you know where the word comes from? It was an archery term originally. And when you sinned, it was saying the archer pulled back the target, he aimed it or she aimed it, pulled the trigger, and missed the bullseye. A sin is missing the mark. It's the quarterback missing the wide receiver. It's the baseball player missing the catcher. The catcher. Catcher? Catcher. That's a new word. It's whatever illustration you want. It's missing the target. And God has a way. He's illuminated our path through his scripture. And he says, this is the way to live. And when we miss that, we miss out on God's best intention for, wait for it, our life. And when sin creeps in, it robs us of joy. So why don't we trust the map? Why don't we trust God's word? Why don't we trust his scripture and dive into that? There's three reasons why I think we quit following the map. One, we want to go our own direction. 1 John 1, 6 says, if we say this, we have fellowship with him, and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. I have a, another map illustration of this, okay? It's saying, okay, we're going down here, and let's say I get to West Memphis, and I sit there, and I think that's where that little detour is, and I sit there, and I go, I want to go to Alabama. Not that there's anything wrong. Those of you who are Alabama, I'm not saying going to Alabama is a sin, okay? Except that the point of my journey was to go to Nani's house. Every time my mom comes, no one's going to know her name anymore. It's going to be, hey, Nani. Um, it's to go to Nani's house. And if I head towards Alabama, I'm no longer on the path that leads me to Nani's house. Do you understand that? And so if we say that we want to go our own direction, it says we are saying we are going to Nani's house. We want to have fellowship with him. We want to arrive and be with him, but we're headed the wrong direction. So we're walking in darkness. We're off the lighted path. And we are lying because we are saying we want to go a direction we're not actually going. And so it's saying his truth is not in us. One reason that we quit following the map is we want to go our own direction. Two, another reason we quit following the map is we're too stubborn to admit our mistake. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, I've made this trip so many times, I don't necessarily need Google Maps anymore, but I'm going to come to that in a second. But I remember doing this one time and I thought, I don't need the direction anymore. I know where I'm going. I do all the driving. I know where I'm going. And so I remember going along this way. It was the first time I'd gone without the, the Google, okay? And as I was driving this way, I came to this certain sign that says I-40 here. And I thought, oh no, I know I'm supposed to get on I-40. And I panicked. And in a moment of panic, I got off and I started going the wrong direction. I started going on I-40 east. 
Texas is not in the east. It's also, by the way, not in the south. If you call a Texan a southerner, they get mad. Why? Because they're Texans. That's another story. But um, I started headed in this direction, and I, I was, and so I was about 20 minutes before I caught my mistake, and I was like, I don't, please, please don't tell my wife I'm headed the wrong direction. I've got to somehow figure out how to explain to her that we're going to arrive 45 minutes late because I've taken the wrong direction, and I had to figure out I'm going to have to take out my Google Map thing, and when I take out my Google Map thing, I'm going to have to admit that I don't know where I am, and I don't want to do that, so I'm just going to keep going the course. You ever been there? Sometimes it's just easier to keep going in the wrong direction than admit you've gone the wrong way. We also can quit following the map because we think we already know everything we need to know. This is especially geared for those who've grown up in the church. But 1 John 1, 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, there's going to be times where you make mistakes. There's times you get off the map, the map and you need to realize that you've got to get back on. How do we do this? First John 1 John 1.5, this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light. And there's absolutely no darkness in him. You aren't really fooling anyone when you go your own direction. You're trying to fool people, but you aren't. And the reason you don't have joy is because you haven't grasped this concept that sin equals darkness and God equals light. His truth is the direction of our life. And the goal of it is to find joy on the journey as we pilgrimage to a closer relationship with him and with other people. And when we get off course, we sin, and we will. Here is what the remedy is. Confession. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, as I'm heading the wrong direction, I could be 999 steps away from God, but the moment I confess, I can all of a sudden be headed towards the right direction again. Right? Confession is realized, I'm off the course. In order for me to have joy, I've got to get back on the course of life. But I don't think we understand what confession. We think confession is a mean person who is a, probably a preacher yelling and putting his finger at his face saying, you are a bad person. Confess. And that's how we think of it. But that's not really what confession is. So let's talk just for a moment about what confession is before we talk about how to practice it, okay? What is confession? Well, first of all, confession is not a shallow asking for there to be an absence of consequences. Right? I'm sorry. Please don't cause any consequences, right? I'm sorry, please, please, please. It's a begging. It's a, it's a place where we come together and go, I'm sorry, just make the relationship like it was before I made a mistake, before I do this. Or this is my favorite. I'm sorry. Are you, are you really sorry? Because your attitude doesn't say that you're sorry. And sometimes we know we're supposed to be sorry, so we just say the words, but we don't actually mean it because if you are confessing, it is an accepting of responsibility with humility and sorrow. Humility is a difficult thing to describe. It's very hard to know if you have it because the moment you think you're humble, you're not. I'm the most humble person I know. <laughs> that didn't work that way. But rather, humility is a posture of placing and saying, I am in need of someone else. That's why this is the description of our uh, accountability. It's the realization that you need someone else. You need other people to forgive you. You need a God to forgive you. You need other people to help you get back on the course. 
which is ultimately what confession is. It is a course correction and attitude indeed. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go the right direction. I'm going to quit doing the things I say I'm going to quit doing. Because if you say I'm sorry and then keep doing and living in the direction that you say you're going, I'm sorry with the wrong direction. And you just keep driving? You never arrive. And finally, it's submitting to soul surgery. Soul surgery? What is soul surgery? Well, let me ask you this. Have you really found joy in your life? I think if I were to survey the room, this sermon has really impacted me a lot. This sermon has really challenged me a lot. Do you really know who you are? I'm not talking about as a father or as a friend or as a brother or as a I do this for a profession. I'm not talking about those descriptions. I'm not talking about describing yourself as loud or quiet or introvert or extrovert. I'm talking about if I had to ask you, who are you? Do you know who you are? The unfortunate circumstance, the unfortunate reality is I think if I were to survey not only this room, but most of the church of America, if not most of the church of the world, and ask them, who are you really? They would say, I don't really know. And maybe the reason we struggle with confession is because we're lost with who we are. We don't know how to get back on the map because we don't even know where we are. How does this happen? I remember being a real little boy. And being told all the time, Daniel, you're too serious. You're too serious. Daniel, you're too serious. You're a 60-year-old in a nine-year-old body. Well, now that would be a compliment, but that wasn't back then. And so I remember thinking, okay, I need to change. And so I started developing my puns. Guys, I'm pretty good at puns. I'm not going to lie. Why? Because puns are the lowest level of humor. In all seriousness, anybody can learn puns. It's not hard. But I began to teach myself. And so my puns were an attempt for me to go, see, I'm not a 60-year-old man. And I worked at it, and I worked at it hard. But what I really learned about developing the puns was what I really was trying to do was say, see, I'm not so serious. Why did I feel the need to do that? I did it because I wanted to be loved. Somebody accept me. And somewhere along the line, someone looked at your faults and your failures. Someone along the line, someone looked into you and they said, you're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're you're too loud. You're too quiet. You're obnoxious. You're whatever. And you started to let those moments define you. And rather than coming before the Father and saying, Son, daughter, you are enough. I've made you the way you are as an introvert. I've made you the way you are as an extrovert. I can use you, Peter, who is obnoxious. I can use you, this person. I can do all of these things with the person that I made you. You started to try to find your own way in this world in a desperate attempt to be loved by other people. And you let their sins mark your sin. And it left you on a path of destruction. How does this look like as an adult? Fast forward 30 years. Maybe, just maybe, I have to be careful of this. This church has grown for the last five years. (laughs) 
you all tell me that all the time. Isn't it amazing what you have done? You know the problem when you become identified as the pastor who grows a church? If you're not careful, that becomes your identity. And you know what the problem when you have that as your identity is you know that there's a day where the church may have a season where it doesn't grow. And then all of a sudden, your identity has been put in, I am the pastor of the church that grows. And you're scared of losing that. And so you put all your eggs in the basket of trying to maintain and trying to feel that and trying to grow that because you don't want people to think you're a failure. And so you try hard, you try to do all these things, and you try to find these things, and ultimately what it does is it leads you off the path because you're no longer asking God to step into your life and give you the course of direction. You feel like you have to take over the mantle of the reins, and this happens all the time in our life. Maybe it happens as a mom. I, I, I just, my kid has made a poor choice. I have failed as a mom. Course correction. Is it? Or maybe as an adult, you put your, your identity in being... Fill in the blank. You know what it is. And the longing that we have in our heart is for someone to say, I love you. You know where you're loved? Nani's house. Nani loves you. But I got news for you. Nani doesn't love you a penny's worth what God loves you. And when you lose sight of the destination, longing for acceptance and love, what ends up happening is you end up steering your course of direction off the path that God intends. And you long for someone to go, I love you. And God's sitting there going, I love you. Just come here. Come home. And we try to fill that void with sin. Our own way, our own direction. And ultimately, what happens is we feel lost because we are. Yet God. God says if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us, to get us back on the right direction. Yet God, he says, I love you right where you are. And I think what we have to do is we have to understand that confession is soul surgery and submit to it. But you know why we don't like to submit to soul surgery? Because it's surgery. Soul surgery is like any surgery. What do I mean? Well, I had an operation on this finger. I had a four-inch pin drilled and like 52 stitches when I was in 11th grade. Look how quick I can bend it. It's awesome. And I, when, I, when that happened, I remember injuring it, and I remember not telling my mom for a month because I thought if I could hide it, it would just heal itself and go away. You see the parallel here, or do I need to point it out? Well, what ended up happening was it kept getting worse because sin does that and anything that's injured ends up doing that. And I remember going to the doctor and here's what the doctor said. If you'd only come a month ago, we wouldn't have required surgery, but now we have to have surgery. And I'm like, well, thanks for that. But I didn't know and want to submit to the will of God because I didn't want to have the surgery and it ultimately cost me a lot more pain and problems because I didn't do it right the first time. So the fear of the unknown can cause us to um, avoid soul surgery. And the second reason we avoid soul surgery is it's painful. <laughs> when I woke up from my surgery, you know what the first three words out of my mouth were? More drugs, please. I was in a stupor and they were, I was like, it hurt. And I don't know why it hurt because they said this surgery would make me better. But when I went under the knife, I, they, they cut open my finger. They used a scalpel and peeled Squeamish, squeamish alert. Peel back my skin. 
they move things around to heal it. And when we submit to God, he's going to move some things about it. He's going to be invasive in your life. He's going to cut you open. And you're going to sit there and go, this hurts. Yeah. But it's part of the healing process. Because ultimately, surgery leads to healing. It's where you find a healthy you. A joy-filled you. And it requires placing your hand in the lives of others. It's interesting <coughs> that it requires us to place ourselves in the lives of others. And it has to be around godly, healthy people. People who are healthy in their faith. Okay? <clears throat> but I think a lot of times what we do is we, we don't do that. We, we instead try to find the internet doctor healing way. You know? Anybody ever done that? Don't raise your hand. It's embarrassing. Um, I have a runny nose. Do, 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 do. According to this, I am dying of 14 different things. It's on the internet. It's got to be true. Christians do this all the time, right? We don't go to the scripture. We go to other people who aren't always healthy in their own life. And we sit there and go, how do I do? They're going to steer you wrong. Go to the scripture and go to people who point you to the scripture. But if you aren't filled with joy, let me say this with fear and trepidation, knowing that I'm looking in the mirror. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not your kid's fault. It's not your friend's fault. It's not cancer's fault. It's not the loss of job's fault. It's no one's fault but you. Because on the journey, we have to trust that the surgeon will give us joy. And when we realize the point of the journey isn't the promotion. The point of the journey isn't the who dies with the most toys wins. The point of the journey isn't that everybody likes me all the time. The point of the journey is to get to Nani's house, which in this illustration represents heaven where Christ is. Then our joy can be complete. Bring it, world. You ain't got nothing to destroy me. Nothing. You gonna throw things at me? Call me names? Tell me I'm not funny enough? Tell me I'm too serious? Tell me you like my puns. Tell me you hate my puns. I'm not going to let it affect me because my joy and my identity is found as a son of the king. You are worthy. You are worthy of our praise, Jesus. And when you find your identity, you know where you are. That's why confession leads to joy. So what's the Monday morning application? How do I practice confession? If you want a screenshot, it's two slides this week. You schedule regular checkups. Accountabilities with others and accountabilities with the doctor. Accountabilities with others means you've got to find godly people in your life who can say, hey, you're steering the ship wrong. Course correction. Hey, you missed that sign that said we're supposed to be headed west and you're headed east. Godly people who can do that. And it also means with the doctor. Schedule regular checkups with the doctor. So here's how this looks in my life. In the mornings when I'm living a healthy life, when I'm living as God wants me to live, in the mornings I read my Bible. His words lamp into my feet. At night, before I go to bed, I ask God for course correction. God, show me what I need to confess. And I remember an elementary teacher at church teaching me this thing, okay? If you want to see what your sins are, ask God to show you the movie of your life. 
I remember thinking, that is the most ridiculous thing. I remember thinking that, but I started doing it. God, show me my sins. And it's like a movie unfolds in my mind. It's like, oh, you were really mean to that, mean to that uh, fast food driver or fast food worker. Or, oh, you drove way too fast with a Calvary sticker on the back of your car. The Calvary sticker on the back of your car is kind of an insignificant reality with that. You talked mean to your wife. You thought too much about yourself today. You were selfish. And it's painful and it's not pleasant. And yet it leads to joy. Because what hopefully happens is as you submit for the surgery, you humbly come and you say, God, I, I surrender this to you. And you replace the old with new. You replace the old with new. You know, if you want to stop lying, you have to tell the... Okay, we can do better than that. If you want to stop lying, you have to tell the... You don't keep telling more lies. You know what you don't do to a cancer patient? You don't remove all the cancer and the next day stuff it back in them. But yet many of us are going, I don't know why I'm finding joy. I keep confessing. But you keep stuffing the cancer of sin back in your life. You have to replace it with new. So whatever the opposite is, if you're struggling with gossip, try encouragement. If you're struggling with worry, try faith. Find the opposite of what you're struggling with and run that way. Why? Because that's the course correction. That's what's going to put you back on the, the path to joy. That's going to get you back into life. And when you fall down, get back up. And finally, and I think this is real important, do the physical th therapy necessary to establish a new life. Because those of you who received Christ at camp this week, you know what you're going to want to do by Tuesday? Quit. Because the enemy's going to say it's easier to live the regular life. Some of you who are on this journey, God's speaking to you right now, and he's saying, you need to get this out of your life, and you're going to go, I'm all in, at least until three o'clock this afternoon. When I had to do the, the surgery, I remember I had to do these hand things, and I was supposed to do like 50. I don't remember exactly how many. You know the, I don't remember what they're called, squeeze things. That's the technical term. I was supposed to do 50 of them. I remember doing the first time going, five's good enough. My mom was like, no, 50. Nani knows best, right? Because if I didn't do that, I would never regain the strength to grow, to get back to healthy. And the point of spiritual formations is to make you a healthy follower of Christ. And the mark of it is joy. So right now, I don't know what someone else has done to you in your life. I don't know if people have been mean to you or encouraged you. I don't know if your journey has been filled with detours and obstacles on the road, and some of us have easier routes than others. I don't know if people have been downright mean to you, called you names, but I know somewhere along the line, you probably let the sin of this world get you off the path you need to be in, and you need to admit that. And you need to stop blaming everyone else in your life, and you need to accept the responsibility of your life of your faith and find your joy. So I want to give you a little space to do that this morning. I'm going to give you about a minute and a half and here's what I want you to do. In this minute and a half, if you're brave enough, I want you to go, God, show me my sins and help me to know how to fix them. Start submitting right here, right now to soul surgery and then let him provide that next Monday morning application of what you need to do. Now, let me warn you, it will be painful for a season. 
but healing's coming. Work through the pain to get to the healing. If you need a therapist, we got those. If you need to talk to someone to help you, we'll help you. You need to find podcasts on the issue you're struggling with, they're out there. We'll help you find the right ones because some of them are crazy. But above all and through all, go to the scripture and let God's word penetrate to the marrow of your bones, providing you hearing and healing. And it's marked by joy because you can have joy. So this morning, we're going to ask you to surrender it all to Christ. And I'm going to give you a minute and a half. You ready? A minute and a half to just do it. And I want you to ask, God, what do I need to correct? Show me my sins and help me to know the next steps. And then go there. We'll do this together as a church, okay? God, move and breathe in us. Teach us to surrender. We give you this moment. We give you this time. With every breath that we breathe, move. Thank you for loving us and thank you for caring enough to perform the surgeries on us. So God, as we lay on the table right now, we ask that you show us the areas of our life that need healing. And then we ask you to perform, bringing us joy. Church, take a minute and a half.